Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, and if you need a Bible, raise your hands and we'll be glad to give you a Bible, lend your Bible. Isaiah 53, we're in a series on the prophets, on the book of Isaiah right now, and then we'll move to Jeremiah eventually, but raise your hands up there in the balcony as well. We've got some folks up on the upper, upper right. And uh, keep your hands up, you need that Bible, Isaiah 53. <clears throat> We good? Okay. Sorry about that. You'll get it. You'll keep those hands up. You'll get that Bible. <clears throat> let me just let me read you. Um, let's begin in verse <clears throat> two of Isaiah fifty-three. We'll read verses two to six. <clears throat> Isaiah fifty-three verses two to six. Isaiah is speaking here about the Messiah. Jesus, about 550 to 650 years before he ever came to earth. Verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Now, generally, uh, in our society at least, we, going down is generally seen as bad. If the stock market's going down, even if you're not invested in the stock market, it's considered bad. If you're in school and your grade point average is going down, it's bad. Uh, if your 401k or your retirement account, whatever you've got there, is going down, that's very bad. If your credit rating is going down, that's bad. Uh, if you're in business and the number of clients you have or customers coming to you is going down, that's bad. You're in trouble. If you're in politics uh, or in show business or in the arts or music or uh, acting and your popularity is going down, uh, that's bad. That's bad. And in fact, if you're a New York Knicks fan, and the number of games that they're winning this year is going down from last year, and actually the last 30 years. That's bad. Especially since they're still charging the same amount of money for tickets. Now, I like to exercise. Jerry and I like to walk five, six times a week. And uh, as many of you know, I have a lot of energy, and you know, I'm active. And, uh, but when I get sick or I get like a flu and, and my physical health goes down, uh, it's very bad, especially if you live in my home. I don't, I don't respond well to uh, just not having the energy and strength to just, to, to just function. And um, I, I go into the, the five stages of uh, Kubler-Ross of death and dying. You ever read that book about death and dying? First, you're in denial. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. You know, I'm just... 
and uh, that I'm angry and I'm raging, that I'm bargaining with God, that I'm just in deep depression, you know, and then finally, all right, all right, all right, I'll, I'll relax, you know, take a few days. But uh, it's bad when I get sick. So the problem is that, that generally going down is considered bad in our culture. But Jesus is saying here that spirituality that's going down is good. In fact, spirituality of descent, our title for our message, is, is, is Christianity. It's very, very good. And uh, it's very hard to accept this, very difficult to absorb it. In fact, when I first got into this text a few weeks ago, realizing this was falling on me in our series, um, I, I didn't like it. I said, oh, this is, I, this is a terrible text, you know, same old, you know. And, and I realized where it was taking me, and, I, and everything in me was resistant. Because we have a deep resistance to this notion of death and resurrection. And, um, uh, but it is the only path to genuine transformation. It's going downward into this death and burial. And there's certain spiritual truths that we talk about on a Sunday that you, can, you cannot unlock them unless you experience them. So, for example, we talk about Sabbath-keeping as a spiritual formation practice. You really can't get Sabbath-keeping unless you actually engage in it for a 24-hour period and you're, and you're actually doing it. Then, then the teaching begins to make some sense. Same thing with things like prayer. I mean, prayer, teaching on prayer, is, it's just out there. But when you start praying and struggling in prayer and communion with God, then it makes sense. Well, it's the same thing here with, with this, this descending, this, this going downward. It really doesn't mean much until you actually engage it. And, and then it begins to come alive. And, and so we can mouth the words about, oh, Jesus died and rose again. But it's just words. Uh, it, it has to be lived. It's got to be practiced, actually. This is not, this message today is not a fast food religion. That's very common, especially in the West. We've somehow given people the idea that you can follow Jesus and not have to die. You can follow Jesus and not have to go down. Um, you can keep doing what our culture is doing. You can manage, you can control, you can fix, you can go upwardly mobile, you you, you, you don't have to let go and surrender. And uh, this is very difficult for us as the people of God to actually receive. So here's Isaiah. He's writing, if you remember the context here, he's writing to people who are scattered around the Babylonian Empire. It's about the year 600, uh, 550 B.C., before Christ. And they're scattered. And the Lord's been coming through these messages you've been hearing. And he's calling them to go back to Jerusalem. Now, they're already suffering somewhat, but they've got themselves established but the call now is to leave all this and travel back 500 to 900 miles back to Jerusalem. They're going to lose everything. They're going to lose their status. They're going to lose their positions. They're going to lose the school their kids are in. They're going to lose their security. And they're going to get to Jerusalem, and the place is in shambles. The cities in disrepair. There aren't jobs there. There's not security. They're surrounded by enemies. It's a downward spirituality, and they don't like it. And as you've heard in the messages prior to this, they're struggling with God. Why would God ask for this? What is God doing? And have you forgotten me? In last week's message, you know, God's starting to say, I've not forgotten you. I, for, I have en engraved you on the palm of my hand. Nonetheless, true spirituality is a spirituality of descent. So it was for them in their day, just like it is for us. And they had a hard time with it. But what happens is Isaiah begins to speak to this. He's speaking directly to them. He begins to, as a prophet, he begins to kind of move out into the heavenlies. And he begins to, to see and prophesy about the Messiah that is to come to save the whole world. And so here we have in Isaiah 53, one of the most famous texts in the Old Testament, uh, which, which points to the, the Messiah when he comes and what he's going to be like. Uh, and, um, and actually, this is probably one of the most quoted passages in the, in the New Testament. 
And this is the crowning trophy of Isaiah and all of his, his prophetic work. But he is speaking now of what's going to come in Jesus six, seven hundred years from now. And it's quite a text. Some of you as Jewish believers came to Christ reading this text. And, uh, and actually it's a poem. And then we have some poets here. I think there's a writer's poets group meeting right now. And uh, it's poetry written in five stanzas in the original Hebrew. And it starts in Isaiah 52, verse 13, and it actually goes to the end of chapter 53. And if, you were, if you've ever studied poetry in school, there's certain ways you do poetry, and this one has five stanzas, and they're kind of written in kind of a rhythmic Hebrew kind of a, a flow, you know? But in English, we don't quite catch that drift in the same way. But because of time, I'm going to focus in particular on those first six verses. But again, just remember, it starts in chapter 52, verse 13, with resurrection that this Messiah is going to come and he's going to be high and lifted up and resurrected. And then it goes, the rest of the poem, boom, about death. And then he ends the poem at the end of chapter 53, talking again about resurrection. He's going to be high and lifted up. He's going to be a blessing to the nations. But we're going to focus on, in the beginning, in the downward journey. So let's begin. Go, go, go to verse 2. And, uh, but you've got to catch this, that, that, that this um, text points to the Messiah, Jesus, who is going to come as a crucified God. See, no other world religion has God hanging on the cross at its center. You know, what's the difference between Christianity, and say Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, you know, animism, you name it. There's nothing like it. A God who came to earth in the person of Jesus. And, and, and that's the one whom we follow and worship. It's the Lord hanging on a cross. But he comes in chapter 53. Now look at verse 2 with me. It begins by talking about he comes as a stump. Verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He comes in a quiet, unassuming way, born as a baby, Nazareth, Bethlehem. He doesn't burst on the scene like a mighty oak tree. He comes as a little plant struggling to survive for life in the desert. And it's like his very survival is going to be in doubt, God himself coming to earth. And you think about a person who's going to come as a deliverer. They're dominating, they're forceful, they're powerful, they're attractive. They've got personal magnetism. People are drawn to them. He says, it's not going to be like that. When he comes, verse 2, he has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. We're not drawn to him. He's very ordinary. He's unimpressive. We dismiss him. He's shunned. It's, it, it, he came to take away the sins of the world, but no one's even paying attention to him. He walks in the room and says, like, huh, look. We'll look right past him. Reminds me of being trying to get picked for, you know, the basketball game or stickball game as a kid. And I'm like, you know, pick me, pick me. You know, anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, yeah, thank you. It's like that. He walks in the room. It's like, oh, God's here. No one even knows he's here. No one cares. Verse 3, it says he was despised and rejected by men. And that word despised is not like our English word despised, which has a lot of heavy emotional conflict. I hate you, you know. That, that's not what that word is in Hebrew. There's no emotion in the word he was despised. What it means is that he was unworthy of any attention. He was, there was no significance for Jesus for them. He was despised and that he was, ir he was irrelevant. And, uh, and so it says, from whom men hide their faces. They, they just, they avoided him. Jesus was not even given a second thought. And so he didn't look like a winner. He looked like a loser. Losers don't deliver people. And so his suffering, when it says in verse 3, he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, what, what that's referring to is not the physical suffering as much 
as in this context is referring to the fact of being overlooked, being ignored, being considered irrelevant. And yet, he's come to die for the sins of the human race. And that was a great suffering to carry. And then it moves in verses 4 to 6. And just hang with me a little bit before we get to our application, because this is important. In verses 4 to 6, it goes then into, his, into the heart of this whole poem. And in ancient Near Eastern Jewish culture, as well as secular culture at that time, if you were suffering, it was understood that you were being stricken or suffering because of your sins. You'd done something to deserve it. And, and yet, this is not the case here with Jesus. It says what he was... We, he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows or us for. We considered him stricken by God. We thought it was his fault. You did something wrong that you're suffering like this and you're being ignored. And, 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 uh, but he was stricken because we're sinners. And the whole Old Testament sacrificial system from Leviticus on about you know, lands being sacrificed, blood being shed for the forgiveness of sins, he is going to fulfill all of that. And in verse 5, it says he's pierced, the word for our rebellion. He, that means he's crushed for our t- twistedness. Then it says he's, he's crushed in verse 5 for our iniquities. That's the strongest term for being broken into pieces. He's going to be punished, it says in verse 5. Punished on our behalf. And uh, he takes our place and he experiences the violence of a crucifixion. Uh, and so while he's suffering and dying for us, we are like sheep just going our own way. Ignoring him, it's irrelevant, it's not a big, big issue. And because uh, we're like sheep, we're, 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 we're fearful, we want to get lost, we're wondering about our own plan, agenda for our lives. But he's getting beaten for our willfulness, yet he doesn't deserve it. And then verse 10, it kind of climaxes here and says, um, I'm sorry, yeah, in verse 10, he says, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And that the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. And so it, it, it closes out that Jesus himself provides just like a lamb, a perfect satisfaction for the penalty of sin. And he, is our, he, he takes all of our debts that we owe God, that we can't pay, and he pays it on our behalf, although he has no sin. He doesn't open his mouth. And really, to understand this text, it's really not an intellectual, exegetical study that you do. It's really, this, this text requires a contemplative life. This is a bottomless gaze into the greatest news in the universe. God himself hanging on a tree for you. Do you realize God created you and God created me for eternal bliss and eternal banquets, a feast with him, every ache, every longing you have for love and life, that longing is ultimately for God. It can only be satisfied with God. And yet your sins and my sins, we stay separate us from this living God who loves us. And we go our own way. And then God comes after us. And he comes through prophets. He speaks like Isaiah. He comes in, into earth in a person of Jesus. Then he loves you so much. And he so loved the world that he comes and, and he dies for you. And, 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 he, and he gets punished and pierced and crushed and a, becomes a guilt offering. And he freely dies on that cross. It's free. He doesn't have to. It's free out of love for you and me to to get us back in relationship with God. And he he clears the slate. And so now you and I can turn around and receive a banquet, receive a feast, receive this this relationship with the living God and Jesus and come alive. It's the greatest news in the universe. God wants to marry you. 
Jesus wants to marry you so much, this is what he does to win your heart and my heart. That's Isaiah 53. And he, he loved when he says, he goes, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He was punished so that you could experience peace. That word peace is an incredibly rich word, which I don't have time to go into. Peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with other people, peace with nature. It is, a, it is an unbelievable word that God's going to put your fragmented self together through Jesus. That's how much he wants you and comes after you. And Isaiah sees this 600 years before it actually takes place. Tremendous text. But what I want you to notice here is we worship a wounded, suffering, crucified God who died because he loves you. That's who we worship, and he's alive. And so now this Jesus invites you, and he invites me, to the same pattern of life, to follow him. He went down, he invites us down. He died, he invites us to death. He's buried, and he invites us then to resurrection. So that's what I want, I want to take it now, the rest of our message. I want to talk to you about the, the, the transformational journey. This is the only transformational journey that your life will be changed. It's following Jesus. A student is not above his teacher. A servant is not above their master, said Jesus. I died, so shall you. It is the Christian life. So with that, I'm going to make two simple points here today. Jesus invites us to follow him. You don't have to, especially when you hear what it means. But it's an invitation. And it begins by choosing to die before you die. That's how it begins. Jesus actually died before he died. I mean, he was considered irrelevant from his birth. His earthly days, imagine him 12, 15, 17, ignored, overlooked, not impressive. But you see, you are going to die. You do, physically, you're going to die. You can postpone it, a little plastic surgery. I'm exercising a lot, trying to get a couple extra years out of it. You can hold on and fight it, but you will die. Some folks accumulate a lot of money for security and power and prestige because it's almost like a, a way to resist death. Right? Or you can do some performance to, that, you, that you know, do something great that people will never forget you. Maybe you, if you give us $100 million, maybe we'll, we'll name a room after you. <laughs> but you're still going to die, all right? And uh, because you want to make sure you're not forgotten and you're not overlooked. You want to be remembered. And what Jesus is saying is that, no, no, the Christian life is, you're going to die, but we, you choose, like me, to die before you die. Because you know what that's going to bring later, but you choose it. Now, I'm not when I talk about death, I'm not talking about rolling over, like becoming a doormat. I'm not talking about being naive. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about, you know, that you don't plan. I'm not talking about you don't plan or think through your future. I'm not talking about giving up on life. I'm not talking about losing the good parts of you. Uh, and it doesn't mean that if you're in a position of great influence as a CEO or as a political leader or as a, in the arts, um, uh, that, that doesn't mean you leave that either. But it's, it's, it's a dying. This death that Jesus is talking about is something more profound than the external circumstance. It, it's, it's, you know, you always know that success is not about earthly power or money or prestige, that you're not death is you, you're not living your life concerned about what other people think. You're not living your life to impress people. You refuse to compare yourself to others. 
your age, your ethnicity, your education, your family. You don't, death is, is, is you, you, you refuse to try to engineer and control life. Fixing and changing people around you. Some of us love to control people. You let that go. You're not grasping or attaching to things. The invitation of Jesus is, you are dying, yes. And the invitation of Jesus is not to fight what is being done to you. You see, in some ways, death is being done to you. It was being done to Jesus. He, he, he received it. It's being done to you. Now, you can fight it, avoid it, push it away. Um, but what is being done to you by God as he's trying to bring you to suffering and death is much better than what, you, what you're trying to do for yourself. What you're trying to do for yourself is not going to work. Death is going to work and bring transformation in your life and actually every dream you've got. Some of us kick against this teaching. We hate it. I, I, I'm first in line. I think it takes years and seasons to actually receive this truth. Because everything in us just looks at God and say, you are wrecking my life. Why me? And our tendency is to get very angry at God or at least angry at anybody around us. But this is about choosing death before you die is, is, is really saying, yes, thy will be done. And it's remaining connected to God when everything else is disconnecting from you. So, again, this has to be practiced, not just put in our mouths. So, so the key word here is choose. All right, so let me try to unpack this just a little bit before I get to this next point here. But, see, I, I felt even as a, as a believer, most of my life it was like, all right, you got to die. I'm like, all right, I got to die. Yeah, you know, it was like, oh, die. And it was like very negative, very, I mean, just, a, just a, a bummer of a Christian life. Just death, death, death. And I realized that, no, Jesus chose freely to die. He, he said over and over, no one's taking my life from me. I freely give it out of love for you. I lay it down gladly for you. And that's what this is talking about. It's gladly being overlooked. It's gladly being ignored. It's gladly being seen as irrelevant. It's, it's a whole other way of living. So, uh, so for example, every, you know, choosing to die allows you to be forgotten and overlooked by people. And, uh, you know, I, I know people that they buy clothes and cars that they can't afford so that people will not overlook them. I know folks who choose professions and study for years in certain fields because they want to impress others and say, I am a, I am a, and that drives their life. It's the opposite of death. I know folks who choose to date certain young ladies or certain young men because it's, if they could see me with him or her, I look good. <laughs> Trying to impress. We like being esteemed. But see, every time I'm overlooked and noticed, the question now is, might this be a gift from God? I actually ask myself the question, when I'm being dismissed, is God calling me to speak up? Because sometimes he is. Or is God actually calling me to die and to be quiet? You know, for me, choosing to die uh, has meant many, means many things. But one of them is, uh, as you know, Jerry and I have written a couple of uh, books and dual speaking with emotionally healthy spirituality. And so certain doors have opened. But I have certain values about my own life, about my life with God, my marriage, our kids, and certain commitments that I have to our community here at New Life Fellowship. And so it's been said to me more than once that if you don't go and do this, Pete, uh, you will be overlooked. 
you will be forgotten. Your little external career out there will be over. And uh, you will lose the moment. And so you must go, you know. And uh, versus just trusting and leaving it to God. But it is a death to say, no, I'm going to be faithful to what God has for me. I'll trust him with the rest. But make no mistake about it. It's a, it's a pull and a temptation. You know, for some of you carry a lot of anxiety. I had a couple of folks come to me at the first service. You, 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 you choosing to die is choosing to say, I've got a lot of anxiety about my future. I've got a lot of anxiety about getting married. I've got a lot of anxiety about this divorce. I've got a lot of anxiety about my career. I've got a lot of anxiety about money. And it's acknowledging that and choosing to die to it and actually moving counter-instinctually and seeking first the kingdom of God. Somebody came to me at the first service and said, for me, it is the giving of money away that is my death. Because money for me is such a source of security. And so letting go of money, every offering is painful. It is a crucifixion. And I feel better, he said, when I'm not even here at church <laughs> as a result. But choosing to die is when uh, your goals and your dreams aren't happening. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, at my age, I really expected that people would be looking at my life and saying, wow, look what you've done. And you're looking at yourself and saying, what a mess, you know, and and, and, and so you get angry and you get irritated uh, because you're, if you're like me, you're raging against this dying process. Say, I hate this. And you're frustrated. You don't want to be handed over to death. Everything in you is like resisting it. And uh, again, the question is, might this be a gift from God? Friends, death is ugly. This choosing to die before you die, the crucifixion is not a pretty process. This is not fun. This is not 10 steps to a happy life. You can't manage the timetable and how it works. For some of you, a death is leaving your job because you know that God's asking you to leave that job. Now, some of you, your death may be staying at your job and actually being a, a, an excellent worker that creates and shapes in the name of Jesus. But either way, it may cut for you, as one person shared, again, first service, Death of leaving that job when I know I should, but I'm so afraid of what might happen. But it is a death. It's choosing to die so I can move on with God. I can go on. You know, last, we had a sexuality retreat a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the necessity of choosing to die before you die if you're ever going to have a marriage that God intends, or if you're ever going to have a sexuality that God intends. That applies to singles as well as marrieds. But otherwise, you end up in just an animal existence driven by the culture. But it is a death. It's choosing to die before you die. Our staff team had a discussion this past week for three hours about bridging racial barriers and gender barriers, but racial in particular. And we were talking about racism, not just in the United States, in our history, a 300-year history of slavery, and all the tensions that we've got here in a place like New York. We were talking about racism in, in, in Asia and Europe and Latin America and how it's all here in New York and all the complexities of skin color and how people make judgments and what does it mean for us as a church to be the body of Christ and bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. And we were in a, we were in a deep discussion, and it was painful because, it's, as you know, it's a mess. It's messy. And, I, and a part of me said to myself, who needs this? Hey, this is crazy. There's so much tension right now, eh? talking about all these difficult issues and possible misunderstandings. And, but I realized that this is what it means, at least for us, I believe, partly as a community, to choose to die before you die as we enter into that because we really believe in Jesus and the power of the gospel. But it's a choice to go in there because you know it's right. 
even though it may not be slick and clean and beautiful and three steps to it all works wonderfully. But there's, a, there's, a, there's another di- dynamic here. Because you see, choosing to die before you die is, is basically, it's letting the sufferings and pains in your life do its work inside of you. Now, we all have suffering and pain. Some of it we bring on ourselves. Others just comes our way. But remember, the key note in the Gospels is Jesus, over and over again, he let it be done to him. He let himself be handed over to the chief priests and elders. He allowed himself, he chose to die. And the same way we allow ourselves, we're given over to it, we allow it to do its work in us. Versus fighting, raging, medicating ourselves into pornography or drugs or some addictive behavior. We actually allow God to do a deep work in us and transform us through that death process. But there is a a second invitation that is equally important. And I found, I think in my own training early on in this whole message, was not given its proper weight. And that is to remember resurrection always comes. I'll say it again. Remember, you can trust this, that resurrection always comes. That's why Isaiah 52, the beginning of this poem, and the end of this poem is about resurrection. It's it's, it's the brackets. You see, death could not hold Jesus down. Yes, he was buried. Yes, it was a long time, three days, but he is risen. And I, I like this woman, Maggie Scoffer, is an author, she wrote a book about it, and it was an autobiography about herself, and she, she writes, I was born and nobody noticed. And she's reflecting on her life as a child that uh, she wasn't nurtured, uh, protected, cared for, the environment wasn't loving because her parents had so many problems, they were so wrapped up in themselves because I was invisible. And, and, and so she called it trauma, you know, left an imprint on her, and I was wounded. The word trauma comes from the Greek word wounded. And, and so so what happens, she says, it's true, what happens to us, those of us who've been overlooked and ignored already in life, it happened to us. She goes, what happens, we end up devising this false self, this myth of who we are, out to protect ourselves into the world. And so we have to like show well, we're, we're, this, we're this and we're that, but it's really not who we are. It's false. And we become who somebody else wishes us to become. And we end up doing what other people wish we would do. And all of our relationships are kind of false and illusory because we don't really know who we are. And Jerry and I were joking about this. You know, I said early in our marriage, we had a little bit of true self, a little bit of false self, and our relationship was a lot of mix. We were married, but there was a lot of false selves wrapped up in it. It's very confusing. And the great news of dying is that maybe you didn't have a choice the first time to die. It kind of happened to you. But you do have a choice now. You have a choice to die before you die. If you remember resurrection, it'll be okay. You'll come at it so differently. You see, God cuts. In that death process, God is cutting, pruning, purging, all that falseness and twistedness out of us. Do you understand? There is no other way to transform you but through death. To cut out of you and to pull out of you these deep, twisted roots of self-rebellion and stubbornness and your will that wants to control life and people. And God wants you whole. He wants you to be congruent. He wants you alive. And so he's going to bring you to death, offering you death. And he says, you remember, there's always going to be a resurrection. You can trust that. It's going to come as much as the sun's going to be set, come up tomorrow morning. So resurrection will come back for you. But you can choose, again, not to die. So let me, if you will choose to die, here's what your resurrection will look like. Here's a broad stroke. Remember Jesus in Mark 5, 
crowds are following him, and a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, she'd been unhealed, she's trying to get near Jesus, she finally touches the hem of his garment. She touches the hem of his garment, and what happens? Power flows out from him, and she's healed. Life comes. Jesus is already dead, in a sense. He's not died on the crucifixion, but he's died to everybody's opinion. He's doing the Father's will. He's free. He's true to himself before the Father. And so life comes out from him. When you choose to die before you die, life flows out from you. You're safe. Anybody who gets near you gets life because you're not sucking from them. You're free. Pharisees did not offer life. They offered death. Transformed people who die inherently give life everywhere they go. They don't take from you. They give you energy. So trust resurrection will always take care of itself. It always comes. So let's say, for example, you have an opportunity to cheat on your income tax or cheat something financially in your life. No one's going to find out. Everybody else is doing it. You'll be out of debt. You'll be free. To die before you die, to die before you die, don't do it. But you can rest in this. Remember, resurrection always comes. Even though it may not come the next day. Or let's say you're single and your temptation is to sleep around. You're waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to marry someone, you know. And, but you know your body belongs to God. And your sexuality belongs to him. You're married to him first. And you're waiting. And you don't want to use people. You don't want to be used. Remember, resurrection always comes. Or let's say, for example, you're, you're, you're your temptation is to contradict your own values by you've got a coworker or a boss who's ascending up the ladder in, in, your, in your company or, or business or educational system. And you're like, you know this person is, is a two-timing bum. You know all the dirt on them. They're lying through their teeth. And you realize you have an opportunity to manipulate your ascent in the organization. You just got to tell some people the truth about what they're doing. But you choose to die before you die and you shut your mouth and you trust that to God. And you remember, resurrection will always come in God's time, and you wait. Or maybe you're frozen in fear. You know, you stepped into New Life Fellowship. You like this church. It's nice here. You know, nice music, nice people, nice friends. And then you're like, oh, my goodness. God's leading. Realize God's coming after you, and the inside of your being, he's pulling out layers off your inward life that are false and no good. And you find yourself, there's a lot of junk in there. In some cases, some of you got some serious secrets, addictions, affairs, stealing, and if exposed to the light, you feel like you'll die. Here's the great news of Jesus. You will not die. Remember, resurrection always comes. You will actually live. The turning point for some of you of dying is confessing all of your sins, laying them out there, trusting. You know, Jesus says, I want you to know something. Resurrection, it always comes. Some of you, you're making plans without God. You love it. You got your life planned out. You see it. Hey, you know what? I, I, I got my degree here. My life's unfolding. My parents are happy. My friends think I'm good. Everything's fitting in nicely. And then you slow down for a minute and you say, hmm, and you talk to God. Or at least you, try, you listen to God, actually, for a few moments. And you realize, wow, um, God has some other things maybe for me. Things like taking a risk like Abraham, leaving everything, or doing some new initiatives that you never would have done. And it's risky and scary. And you die by saying, yes, Jesus, like Abraham, I will go into the unknown, even though it's frightening. Because I remember, resurrection always comes. Always comes. The only way I can die is if I remember, resurrection always comes. It always takes care of itself somehow. Listen, I'll close with this one. The temptation is you always want to follow your, you know, you follow your feelings, and your feelings are 
are, are, are shot. You're praying, you get nothing out of it. You read the Bible, you get nothing out of it. You come to church, you don't get much out of that either. You know, you go to a small group, don't like that. You give money, boring. And you're like, this isn't working, this Christian life. And, 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 and the temptation is, you're on the cross. And the temptation with Jesus was, come down from this cross if you're the son of God, right? You can come down from the cross and say, all right, this ain't working, I'm out of here. God says, no, you die before you die. Trust me, resurrection will always come. Don't quit. You hang in there. I promise you, resurrection will always take care of itself. I thought, you know, I, think, I know some folks in incredible difficulties with their children and marriages in health issues. I thought of Nero's reign in the 80s and 90 AD, Christians being taken to the Colosseum and, and, you know, eaten up by lions, you know, for their faith and their kids being killed. And you say to yourself, what good is that going to do? Dying before you, that's really dying before you die. And the Lord says, no, no, don't worry about the first death, worry about the second death. I can't tell you how it's all going to work out, but I can promise you this, says the Lord, remember, resurrection always comes. Resurrection always come. And you remind yourself of that every day as you make that choice. Do I die or not? Because you don't have to die. It's your choice. And uh, it's a gift. But as you trust that death process, you will actually begin to identify with Jesus who was overlooked and ignored and loved you and died. You'll actually get it. So as we close here, listen, you're going to die anyway. You can fight it. You can be miserable and you will not bear any fruit. Or you can choose to die before you die. And fruit will come forth from you and life immediately to some of the people around you. Uh, and it may not be immediate fruit for you, but others will get it. But you'll be free from your false self, and you'll be alive. Listen, the worst things in the world in your life have the power to be the best. And there are no dead ends in Jesus. In fact, you know that bad things will come into your life and God has the ability to turn them into something great. As Rich said last week, Isaiah 49, 16, God says, trust me, I have engraved you in the palm of my hand. All right, worship team, come on forward. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, choose to die before you die. And remember, spirituality descent is resurrection. It always comes. It will always take care of itself. Now, as I think about this, I, I recognize I can go out tomorrow at any day, at any moment, I can say, no more. I'm not going to die anymore. I'm finished. That's what Judas said. Judas came to a point, he says, I changed my mind. I don't want this death thing any longer. And he walked away, got swallowed by darkness, disillusioned, and sold Jesus out for money. And he walked away from the cross. And talk about a wasted life. Nobody is going to make you do this. But Jesus is freely offering you his life. God has got a great life for you to be a gift of love. It's yours to choose. Let's all stand up. Just listen to these words from Isaiah about the Jesus that we follow. As you think about your life and the, what are the deaths that God has before you right now in your life? The little deaths, there's big ones as well. But hear this word from Isaiah 53 about the nature of the God whom we worship as we follow him. That he grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, very small and insignificant. 
not a big oak tree. It didn't look like much. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He didn't come to impress. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And this is the Lord whom we follow. Let's pray. Take a moment and offer before God the debts that he's inviting you to die now. Lay them before him and say, yes, Lord. Trust resurrection. It always comes, not sometimes, always comes. Somehow it comes. And offer your deaths, your letting go to him. So now, Lord, fill us. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place. Set your people free, I pray. Pull out of us, Lord, all that needs to die. And all that is false, all that's not of you, all that cripples us. And Lord, let your life burst forth out of us. And set your people free, I pray that life and power might flow from all those who touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.
Yeah, it's very interesting that this word was written by Isaiah to a community of people scattered around Babylon. And this word comes to us as a community at New Life Fellowship, not just to you as an individual, but to all of us, to uh, choose that downward path of death, isn't it? It's always something, I mean, in the midst of where we live. So as we close here, uh, the communion table is over to your right, and I want to invite you to come and take of communion, to eat and drink of our crucified and risen Jesus, that his life might flow out of you. And our prayer teams are here to your left. Now, listen, you cannot become a Christian unless you die first. So some of you are here this morning, and you're not a Christian yet, or you're not sure you're a Christian. So I want to invite you, through Jesus, to die, to surrender your will, your running of your own life, to him who died for you and rose again as he waits for you and longs for you and wants to marry you and loves you. And I want to invite you to come forward and receive Christ and become a Christian today. Die. Uh, I know it's frightening. It is always scary to let go and die. But it is the path of life. So if you came with a friend, friend, you bring your friend up. You bring your, the person you came with up here and let us pray for them and get them started in your Christian life. So you come. And uh, I know for many of you in this room, you are, God's inviting you to let go of some, it's big. You're in a big there's a big death for you, a big letting go. It may be a relationship. It may be a sin, an addiction. It may be a job. I don't know. It may be your plan for your life. But you know what it is. You know who you are. And you know what's going on inside of your spirit right now in terms of this death. And I want to invite you to come for prayer. That's why we're in this thing as a community together. We stand with each other, that God will empower you with strength. So we've got prayer teams. We anoint with oil, and we pray for power. This, friends, is about miracles taking place. I don't know how resurrections happen. I just know they always do. And so we trust him with that. So you come and let us stand with you and pray with you. Because it is no joke to walk through crucifixions. Let's not minimize what we're talking about here today. All right? So we'll keep it quiet in here, Peter, and you lead us in worship. And let's all chat downstairs and have our coffee and just let God do his work here in this sanctuary here as we close. All right. So why don't we be dismissed? So open up your hands up towards heaven like this and just pray to receive a blessing from God. And I want you to imagine yourself. You're, you're, you're like that woman with the issue of blood. I want to invite you to, to touch the hem of his garment, Jesus, that power might flow out from him. Receive his power right now from Jesus into your hands, into your heart, into your will, into your mind. Let it wash over your sins. Let God cleanse you. Let him in. And so may God release his power into you now by the Holy Spirit. And now may the peace which he bought at the price of his punishment and him being crushed on your behalf, may his peace, may you receive it now and may it fill your being and may your life be a gift as you leave here that you have nothing to prove to anybody that you are loved and engraved on the palm of his hand may you be set free and may your life be a gift from which life flows as you leave this place because you've died and you are risen with Jesus. So be blessed, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Altar's open. Please come.